All right, so Job chapter 28. Um, not last week, week before last, we went over the friends and um, their attitudes. Really, really, I think the friends of Job, um, at least at the beginning of their conversations, um, get a bad rap a lot of the time. But we went over their, their thought process. What was the one major problem with the way that Job's friends were interpreting what was happening to him? That he had some sort of sin in his life, and that is why. They had this, this false idea, this false link between suffering and sin. And we've talked to, uh, ad nauseum about the fact that, yes, some suffering does come from sin. Other suffering comes because of the sins of someone else. But then also there's, there's suffering that is just it's kind of innate in, in being a human because we live in a world that, that for such a long time has been away from God and, and away from the garden that now sometimes bad things happen to good people. So in these conversations, there's three rounds of conversations, remember, from the three friends. Can anybody remember the three friends' names? What were the three friends of Job's names? Eliphaz? Eliphaz? What's the next one? Bildad, the Temanite, and Zophar. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Great names. Um... And remember, each one of them kind of had a different thing. Zophar was the guy that he knew the scriptures, but he didn't know how to apply them very well. He wasn't very wise in them, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. And so he, he kind of went off the handle. And at the end, in the third round of conversations, Zophar is gone. He doesn't speak the third time because he gave up. And um, I think the book of Job is as much a book to teach us about suffering. I mean, remember, it is a poem about suffering. It's as much to teach us about suffering as it is to teach us about the idea, uh, the, the, the mindset behind interacting with someone that is suffering. And so Zophar is the one that just kind of blows up and goes away. Eliphaz is the one that he wants to remind Job of how things used to be. Um, he's kind of the He's probably the oldest one because he speaks first, and so he's he's more um, he's more aimed at trying to remember remind Job of of the quote unquote good old days. And then Bildad's the one that's he's kind of the mixture. So you have these three friends. They go and they talk with Job. Remember what the, what do they do first before they ever start talking with Job? What do they do? They put ashes on themselves and they just sit with him. For how long? Yeah, seven days. That's the tradition in that time period. Um, really, what you would do is if someone passed away, you would go to the family and you would sit with them until they started speaking to you. Once they started speaking to you, then it was okay to talk back and forth. Now, the problem is that Job's first speech, after he's there for seven days, it kind of... Um, to use a, a term that is overused today, it triggers them to start talking about their issue, right? They start, Job, now, I know that you said you want to ask God questions, but, I mean, do you really have the right to ask God questions, Job? You're, you're in sin. You see the problem there? 
It's the same problem as when someone passes away and they say, why did God do this to me? Or what, what are some other sayings that they might say that someone might, um, someone might say when they're going through that process of grief that is the, the anger phase. So the first phase is just kind of numbness. You don't really know what's going on. Then you kind of question, no, this, this can't be true. And then you start kind of making deals, you know. Well, no, no, he's probably just blank. He's probably just over here. He's probably, you know, he's, he's okay. And then there's the anger that sets in. And that's when people say things. So what are some sayings other than why did God do this to me that someone may say in that phase of grief that when they're dealing with... Um, for instance, Job, the loss of loved ones or, or the loss of property. Can you think of some? Right. Right. And that's what Job says, right? Why, why is this ha- I don't understand. And these men say, well, you don't need to think like that, Job. When someone says, when someone's grieving and they say, you know, why, why did this happen to me? Why did God take him from me? Is that the time to have a deep theological discussion of the, the ramifications of suffering in a, in a fallen world? You just take out your Bible and say, okay, sit down. We're going to have a Bible study. No, that's not the time, right? But that's what these guys did. They started these conversations. And every time they have a conversation, Job answers. Back and forth. 28 starts Job's final conversation with them. Okay. And it goes on for a while. So Job chapter 28, verse 1. Here's how his answer, here's, here's how he goes to answer, um, well, verse, drop back to verse 26, sorry, not 28, chapter 26. Here's how Job goes to answer these people, these three men. Well, really two, because Zophar ran away. How have you helped him who has no power? Verse 2 of chapter 26. How have you saved the arm that has no strength? How have you, how, how you have counseled him who has no wisdom and plentifully declared sound knowledge? How have you done this? You've, you, you've, how, what has you talking for the last 20 chapters or so, done, what has that done to help me in my problem? All you keep saying is that I'm in sin. But the problem is... I'm not in sin. And they don't understand that. They don't get it. And so he, he goes on. Verse 5. The dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God and Abaddon is no, has no covering. Sheol is, is what they thought of as the grave. Okay, It is not a concept of heaven or hell. The people in the patriarchal period had no concept of a heaven or hell. They knew there was something after but that's it. Sheol is just the word for the grave. And so what Job is saying is, God sees graves. He sees Sheol. He, he can see the body that is in the grave. What does that have to do with anything? He has this power. He's going to go on later in uh, chapter um, 28. And, and we'll talk about that in just a second. And he's going to start, it kind of reminds you of the end of the book. What is the end of the book of Job? That's the, the beginning and the end are the ones that everybody knows about, right? What is the end of the book of Job? 
Well, he, has, he gets all the things, but what happens just before that? He repents. What happens just before that? There we go. God has a conversation for him. There, there again, to the New Testament, Job repents because God speaks to him and shows the error of his ways, right? And so, God, and so Job repents, and he's blessed because of that. Now, in this conversation that God has with Job, which we'll get to in a few weeks, he talks about, were you there when I created two animals? What were those animals called? Leviathan and Behemoth. Leviathan and Behemoth. Okay, uh, sneak, pre- sneak peek of a few weeks from now. People say that those are crocodiles and hippos. They're not. Okay, <laughs> The Leviathan is a dragon. It is a real-life, honest-to-goodness dragon. Breathing fire, dragon. It's okay. Don't be scared of the book of Job because it says something that we get scared of because all we've ever heard about is dragons in myths. They were real, okay? And behemoth is probably a brontosaurus of some sort, some, some dinosaur, okay? Um, now, so Job starts talking like that because remember the character of Job. What kind of man was Job before all this happened and while it's happening? What's his character? He's upright. He's knowledgeable in the scriptures. What little scriptures, if you want to call that, that they had? Since Job is the first book that's written in the Bible, they didn't have any written scriptures, right? But the Word of God, he's knowledgeable in it. He knows how to... You you look at chapter 1 and you see he knows how to sacrifice. He knows why to sacrifice, when to sacrifice, who to sacrifice for, everything. So he's knowledgeable. And so in this conversation, this, this retort, if you want to call it that, he starts talking like that. So jump over to chapter 28, verse number 1. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. How, was, how would man put to end the darkness? How would man put to end the darkness? Light, right? We have the power to make light. So he starts talking like God starts talking. There's these places that you can go that, that they, will, they will go deep down into the ground. And they, they will use man-made light to walk farther into the ground to get ore, to bring it out so that we can make copper from that ore, and we can make shovels, and we can make tools, and we can make all these things. What's he talking about? What's a long shaft that goes into the ground? Mines, right? So you can go to a mine and get iron ore and, and make it into copper. Verse 5, as for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it's turned up as by fire. He knows that down below the ground is fire. What's that? Volcanoes, right? Bread comes from the ground because... That's where wheat is grown. So he knows these things, and he knows that God made them. But, look down at verse number 9. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns the mountains by the roots. He he makes shovels, and he can dig up a mountain if he wants to. He cuts out channels from the rock, and his his eye sees very precious things. He can look and see diamonds. He can find jewels. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle. And he goes on, verse 12. But... 
So we have all this process. Man has all this power. And now we have much more power, right? I mean, we can send the largest spacecraft by a, by a factor of two into space and put a car on the top of it just because we can, right? Um, I still think that's hilarious. Uh, we can do all of these amazing things, but, verse 12, where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth. It's not found in the land of the living. Job is answering them and saying, what you're doing is not wise. How you're answering me is not wise. What is wisdom? That's kind of a 50 cent question, right? What is wisdom? Right. It's the ability to make the right decisions, which means it's going to take maturity. It's going to take knowledge of the possible outcomes of those decisions and so forth. We can go down in the ground and we can get iron ore. We can make bread. We know that there's lot. We can, we can harness the lava. Now, I, I saw the other day where Iceland is 100% renewable energy. Every bit of energy that Iceland ever uses comes from geothermal energy or the waves and wind. We can do all these things as mankind, and yet, where does wisdom come from? Who gave us the power to think through the things? Who gave us the power to know that Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, the way you're going about answering me is completely unwise? Because you know the truth. You know that sometimes sin does cause suffering, and yet you have no wisdom so that you're thinking that that means all the time sin causes suffering and suffering is from sin. And you think that this is a good time to have this conversation. And so he says, here's the truth. Okay, look down at verse number 23. God understands the way to it. He knows its place for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain, and a way for the lightning of the thunder. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. So, he, Job is kind of... Um, He's almost, I don't want to put this. He's almost kind of saying, listen, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, you, you think you're so smart in the scriptures. Um, you remember who you used to come to for answers, Eliphaz? Remember Eliphaz's first statement is, do you remember all the times that you've helped people when they had questions? And Job is saying, um, do you remember that you used to come to me for the answers? And I know where I got the answers. It wasn't just from looking around. Because they've made that argument. They've made the argument that if you, you look around, you see, you see people that sin, they suffer all the time, right? I mean, you can see it. You can see someone that, um, in modern day, you can see someone, like we talked about last week, that, that tries to medicate themselves. And it's because of that, they're, they go farther into the hole and they don't ever come out of it, right? We can see that that's the truth. And Job is saying, 
Let's not look at the world. Let's look at the answer to the questions. Let's look at God for the, for the wisdom. Somebody get Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Colossians 2, 1 through 3. Colossians 2, 1 through 3. In whom, Jesus Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Um, Job has the ability to argue this chapter, chapter 28, and say wisdom comes from God. Even knowing now that Job didn't have, the com- he didn't have complete wisdom, right? Were there times when Job sinned? Yeah. He offers sacrifices at the beginning of the book, right? But also at the end of the book, he repents for questioning the, the almighty nature of God and questioning why God would turn his back on him because he didn't understand. There's one thing that you have to, you have to pay attention to when you're reading the Old Testament, and that is the prayers and the, the statements that they make are often, well, they're always... Jewish people praying, right? So, in the book of Psalms, when the psalmist says, happy is he who dashes the babies against the rocks. That's a Jew praying with his understanding of who God is and what God does and and justice and righteousness and so forth, right? We can't pray the same thing. The imprecatory psalms are the psalms where it says, well, just for instance, go to uh, Nehemiah chapter 13. We're going to be there this, this, um, this Sunday morning, but uh, Nehemiah chapter 13. Somebody flip over there. All right, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 29. Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. If you go back to uh, chapter 4, he prays that God would not... uh, Where is it? Let me me see here. Um, Verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had the mind to work. All right, so you read, you read prayers like that in the Old Testament, right? Happy is he who dashes the babies against the rock. Lord, don't, don't forgive them. I want, I want you, Lord, to, even if they repent, to still hold them accountable. Job is is kind of the same way. He he understands wisdom, but everything that Job understood is part. It's 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 incomplete. Now the Christian looks at the book of Job not only because um, 
as we've said a couple times, Job didn't have the book of Job, right? So he didn't, have, he didn't know what was going on. But at the same time, the Christian looks at the book of Job and says, well, why, why did Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar answer like that? Didn't they know? No, they didn't know. Remember, they don't even have the Old Testament, right? They don't have the law of Moses. All they have is God speaking to them every now and then to teach them how to do certain things. Patriarchal system. These men, Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, Elihu, all of them that are mentioned in the book of Job are working on a, on a knowledge base that is incomplete. And even then, Job is able to say, if you want wisdom, where do you have to go to find it? To God, right? To God. So, jump over to chapter 31 now. So it goes on, chapters 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31 are the answer to Job. It's like, you know, all the conversations between Job and his friends, he has, you know, somewhat lengthy statements at the end of all of their statements. Uh, but this one is, is when he says, okay, now it's time for you to sit down. Because Eliphaz, you remember that you used to come to me for the answers. I'm going to give you the answers. And the answers are, I don't know, and I wish I did. All right, chapter 31 Verse 1, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How should I gaze? How then could I gaze at a virgin? What would my portion be from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Isn't that what Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar have been saying the whole book? Chapter 3, is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? See, there again, that's all they know. They don't understand. They don't, they don't have the full picture. But drop down to verse number, six, or number five. If I have walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened to deceit. Verse seven. If my step has turned aside from the way and my heart has gone after my eyes. If any spot has struck my hands, then let me sow and another eat. And let what grows for me be rooted out. For if my heart has been enticed toward a woman, and I have lain in wait at, at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another, and let others bow down on her. For that would be a heinous crime, that would be an iniquity, to be punished by the judges. For that would be a fire that consumes as far as Abaddon, and it would burn to the root of all my increase. He's saying... Okay, we know that calamity comes on the wicked. I understand that. You've, you've made that very clear, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Thank you for spending literally God knows how long, because we don't know how long, uh, telling me that calamity comes on the wicked. The problem is, yet again, he says it over again, I haven't done any wickedness. And if I did, then let that happened to me. It's the same thing as in Acts chapter, um, what, what is that? Ch chapter 25, when um, Paul says, you know, if we've done anything worthy of death, if we've done anything worthy of being arrested, let us be arrested. But we haven't done anything. The picture of Job is, is, is kind of recounted in the life of Christ and in the life of Paul and the other apostles. And he says, if I've done anything, then let this happen to me. In verse 15 of chapter 31. Did not he who made me in the womb make him 
Did not one fashion us all in the womb? Every person is the same. Drop, well, let, let's just drop back to verse 13. If I rejected the cause of my manservant and my maidservant when they brought a complaint against me, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he makes the inquiry, what shall I answer him? Did, did not he make him in the, me in the womb make him? Did not he, one fashion us in the womb? He, he understands there's a sense of justice, right? Um, Sunday, we're going to talk about the fact that a lot of times sin is seen in only a, a social way, right? So, um, yesterday, uh, I went and sat in a meeting with a bunch of preachers um, from all over the city. And uh, they, they were trying to figure out race relations. What do we do about race relations? Because if you haven't noticed, does anybody else notice this? Uh, the second you hit Macon Road, it becomes a completely different city from up here, right? Does anybody else notice that? Or am I just the only one that's willing to say it? When you hit Macon Road, it's it's completely different city. And so they got a bunch of preachers together and said, you know, listen, this was kind of the city was asking this question. What do we do? And uh, and I just kind of looked at Tony and said, um, just start reading the Bible. I mean, I don't Sin is often seen in a, in a social way. We, we have a problem with hungry, and so it's the church's job to take care of all of the hungry people in the world, right? It's the church's job to make sure that there's clean water. Is, is that true to some extent? Yeah. But he understands that every person is made equally in the eyes of God. Every person holds his weight. There's a sense of justice, a sense of equality in Job's understanding. He, he understands that it doesn't, suffering doesn't just come on every person just because they're one way or the other. And, and he even says that, verse 14. What shall I do when God rises up, when he makes inquiry? What happens when God asks me a question about how I'm treating my fellow man, regardless of if he's a bond servant or a slave or whatever? What happens when that happens? I understand that we're all made equally, that I need to take care of them. Does that sound anything like the New Testament? We have an entire book about how to treat slaves, right? The book of Colossians goes into it in depth, what we read Sunday afternoon. Job didn't understand everything. However, can you name some of the attributes of God that changed from the time of the patriarchal period to maybe in the Mosaic they changed and then they changed again in the, the time of Christ? The, the attributes of God, have those ever changed? What are some of the attributes of God? Forgiveness, mercy, justice, what we're talking about here. Uh, love, Anger, right? Um, we like to talk about all the nice, pretty, lovey-dovey stuff. But then, you know, the, the bracelets say, what would Jesus do? And all I want to say is making a whip and hitting people is an option, right? Um, no, not really. Anyways, so the attributes of God have never changed. Have the laws of God changed? Shake your head like this. What are some laws that have changed from the time of Job 
to the time of us. Do what? Sacrifices. That's the one we know about, right? All this about all we know about the religion of Job. Uh, what about the Old Testament from the law of Moses to, to now? What has changed? Sabbath. We don't have a temple. We don't have the worship is differently. We're still we're not doing um, we're not doing sacrifices. Our dietary laws have changed. Our the way in which a person becomes a part of the, the chosen people of God has changed. And all of those things have changed. But the attributes of God have never changed. And what is right and wrong has never changed either. Right? Job understands what is justice. What is social justice. He understands treating people equally. He understands taking care of his neighbors. He understands... Um, I mean, what are some of the other things he's mentioned here? He understands sexual purity and, and, and um, verse 16, if I've hold anything from the poor. Those things have never changed from the time of Job to the time of Christ. What has changed is the religious acts of how we interact with God. Those things have changed. How we interact with people have changed somewhat. However, the thought behind them has never changed. How we interact with ourselves and with our family has never changed. Even though maybe the process has a little bit, but the the thought behind it has it. And Job understands this. Job is a righteous man. There's a lot that we can learn about Christian principles, Christian ethics from the book of Job. Not because the book of Job is doctrine, but because... His idea of what is right and wrong is the same. And, chapter 28, where did he get that idea of right and wrong? From God, right? God has placed it within us. The knowledge of right and wrong. Does that get perverted at times? Yes. Does it take some kind of working sometimes to to have the wisdom? Yes, but it's all coming from from God. All right, so... uh, Let's wrap up here, last uh, five minutes or so. Look at verse number 26 of chapter 31. And somebody read 26 through 28. Job 31, 26 through 30, uh, 28. 26 through 28, there we go. All right. Um, If I'd have looked at the sun when it shone and the moon moving in its splendor, and my heart had secretly been enticed, and I had kissed my hand, I have no idea what that means. (laughs) If I had kissed my hand, I don't know. But something, maybe it's a, there's, there's a thousand for every person that writes a commentary in the book of Job, you have a different idea of what that means. Maybe it's, I could do that. I could make that sun. I could make that moon. Maybe it's, uh, oh, who cares? It's not that beautiful after all. When in fact it is, you know, the psalm, the psalms say that it is the handiwork of God. That when we see the moon, when we see... Um, all the pictures from the car that's flying toward Mars, 
It's, it's the handiwork of God. I still think that's so cool. Anyways, if he had landed it on Mars, it would have been better. All right, but he missed. Um, verse uh, 35. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. He wants to take God to court. This is the point when, in just a moment, Elihu's going to speak up, and he's going to rebuke Job. Not necessarily for the sin that he was supposedly partaking in, but because of this statement right here, okay? He wants to take God to court. Here's my signature. Let, let, the, let the Almighty answer me. I, I have some questions for him. Verse 36, surely I would carry it upon my shoulder. I would bind it on me as a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. What? Here's the problem. Job doesn't realize that he doesn't have to give God an account of all his steps, right? God already has the account of all his steps. See, he's, at this point, he's starting to think that God is kind of like him. And that's the problem for the rest of the book, okay? Verse 36, if my land had, had cried out against me and, it, and its furrows have wept together, if I've eaten its yield without payment and made its owners breathe their last, let the thorns grow instead of wheat and foul weeds instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. Um, so he, he finishes this statement and he, he says, I, I want to take God to court. I want him to have to answer my questions. And that's why later on in the book, God is going to say, I'm not going to answer your questions, Job. Here are some questions of mine. Were you there when I made Leviathan and Behemoth? Were you there when I set the earth on its axis? Were you there when I made the sun? Were you there when I made the stars? And he puts Job in his place, right? Are there times when we, uh, if you're like me, which a lot of you aren't, which is a good thing, um, Sometimes I get upset, not angry. If I'm angry, I usually don't say anything. But if I get upset, I will start talking a lot. And Becca says, you're just trying to, like, I'll get upset about some ridiculous thing. And I'll just start rationalizing. Like, I'll start processing it in my head. And I just, it just comes out. And she'll go, can you please stop? Okay. Um, that's kind of what Job has done. He was dead on in chapter 28, right? You, 26. Have you really helped me much in answering and in, in saying all these things? Chapter 28. God is the answer. And then he keeps talking and he keeps talking and he keeps talking to the point at the end. He says, I want to sue God. If you'd have stopped in chapter 30, you'd have had it perfect, Job. Um, but now he doesn't. And so now... Next week, we'll look at Elihu's answer. And Elihu isn't so much trying to do the same thing as the other friends. What Elihu is doing is rebuking the other friends for how they treated Job and how they tried to answer Job. And then he starts rebuking Job for the audacity to say that last sentence. Um, and in that, he's going to set the stage for when God comes on the scene and starts, um, starts his conversation with Job. But remember, the book of Job, even though it's, it's about a man who stayed righteous, he stayed upright in all of this, he still sinned at times. Uh, what we just read was, was about as close to sin as you can possibly get if it's not sin. 
I would think, this is just me talking here, but I would think that challenging God to a debate is probably a sin. That's just me. You can disagree if you want. But he's still righteous through all of this. But he's still having questions. He still doesn't understand. He doesn't, he, he's, got, he's got, maybe maybe his friends have rubbed off on him. And now he's confused himself. Now he's wanting to ask God questions. I don't know. So any questions in chapters, whatever we went through, 26 to 31? Now that's a lot of text. We didn't even get close to touching all of it. So go back and read it over the next week or so if you want to um, and get the overall picture of, of Job, um, Job's, last argument. So any questions or comments or anything? All right, we're going to pick up with chapter 32 next week with Elihu's uh, statement. So thank y'all. Appreciate it.